On this week's episode of Non-Native Creative, I am very happy to welcome my longtime friend and former colleague, Dexter Greenwood. Dexter was born in Jamaica and moved to Toronto, Canada at a very young age. He grew up there and after completing his university studies, decided to come to Japan. He returned to Canada for several years, but ultimately chose to make Japan his home. He lives in a small town a couple hours north of Tokyo in a place called Gunma Prefecture. He operates two restaurants and is often involved in other activities supporting the international community in Japan. We talked about the steps and experiences that led to him choosing Japan as his home, and he shared a lot of advice for people interested in visiting Japan on a seasonal basis. I think his stories about small town life in a country that's not your own offer some great perspective. Make sure to check out his latest restaurant on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at, at @thebigjerknozawa, and find all of his restaurant activities at kantodining.com. Enjoy! On this week's episode of Non-Native Creative, I am very pleased to welcome my dear friend, Dexter Greenwood. Dex has so much experience in a variety of different fields, including broadcasting and food and beverage. He has lived in Japan for 20 years now? Give or take. Yeah, yeah. something like that. It's yeah. been nuts. We met maybe seven or so years ago, seven or eight years ago, to, when we were working together on the yeah. same team. So I'm very happy that he has agreed to come and chat about his story and his experiences on the podcast this week. Thank you so much for coming. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm, it's exciting. I'm really, really excited about your project. Thank you. And I can't wait to see it and hear it uh, actually, you know, broadcast. Thank you. That's so cool. And thank you also. Today is our very first distance episode. Right. Also, we're here in Dexter's real house, uh, sitting at the bar in his real house. Uh, so thanks very much for letting us no worries. have this chat here. I want to ask you the same question that I ask everybody at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, you, I think you appreciate it as a superhero fan, as oh, a Marvel yeah. fan. Yeah. But I ask everybody uh, to begin to introduce themselves by sharing their origin story. What was the thing that got you started along the path that brought you to where you are today? Yeah, I've given that some thought. I've given it a thought, some thought over a few years. You know, I always wonder, like, how did I get here? I remember once I wrote uh, a bio where I sort of explained that I was... You know, born in small town Jamaica, grew up in, in in the city in Toronto, in Canada, and yet somehow I've ended up cooking in the Japanese Alps. Yeah. Uh, and quite frankly, there's so many steps to get to here. It's almost, I didn't make a plan. Mm -hmm. I just sort of went along. Mm -hmm. um, make trying to make the best decisions as I went along, but but you know here I am. So in terms of an origin story, what one thing happened to put me here? Mm. I don't have one. Okay. I don't have one. Uh, it's it's been a um, a real mix of events that I'm just really glad occurred the way they did. Cool. Okay. Well, if there's no like you know moment that you feel kind of sparked everything, maybe we can kind of go back to maybe the first thing that you mentioned there, okay. which was Jamaica. Right. So were you born in Jamaica? I was. My parents are both native Jamaicans, mm -hmm. and uh, um, I was born in a place called Duhaney Park, which is in Kingston. Mm -hmm. um, and when I was very young, three or four, um, maybe even younger, my, my, my mother moved to Canada first to set things up, sort of. It wasn't uncommon back then for uh, one parent to take care of the kids while the other moved to another country, got a job, and got made themselves eligible to sponsor the rest of the family to come over. Okay. So, so that's what happened. My mother moved to Canada first. 
started working, uh, sponsored the rest of the family, then brought my brother, my father, my brother and I over. Mm -hmm. um, couldn't have been more than a year and a half later. I don't remember any of that. I was really, really young. Mm -hmm. But the stories have been told and the photos are there. And mm -hmm. Yeah, so... Um, Jamaica has, is my heritage, mm -hmm. and, and as you probably know with most immigrant families, um, the place you're from is the home you're in. And what I mean by that is, I would go to school in Canada, uh, and I would be learning uh, to speak with a Canadian accent, and I would be learning Canadian history, and I'd be and so everything I did at school was Canada, and when I went home it was Jamaica. You open the door, you walk inside, the smells are Jamaica. Mm -hmm. The food that you eat, the the accent that you hear, everything was Jamaica. Mm -hmm. So it was great to, and especially being in, in uh, the part of the city that we were in, there was a Jamaican community, uh, a, a West Indian community, the Trinidadians and uh, people from Nevis and all, 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 the, all the countries were represented. Mm -hmm. So it was great to have uh, sort of two worlds that you get to grow up in. Interesting. Yeah. How old were you at that time? Uh, well, three. And you still remember all of that? I, I Well, three until, like, I didn't sort of move away from the home until I went to university. So mm, I see. So, yeah, that whole that whole time, three till 18. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever, excuse me, have any, I guess moments in in that time period cuz i mean you were there with your brothers your in your family sisters no just one sisters? one older brother one older brother sorry um were there periods of time where that maybe having those kind of two separate worlds created a challenge or maybe a kind of a, a disconnect for you not that i'm aware of mm -hmm. or not that i was aware of at the time mm -hmm. uh it, it it was just that's the way it is there mm -hmm. was there was no uh nothing to compare it to i see know? um a little bit later in 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 uh, in life, like once I got into like um, middle school age, mm -hmm. I can remember some other kids joining the school from Jamaica, who were quite a bit, you know, they were older now, and because they had come from uh, a different school system, they got put back, so they were even older. So I'm I'm ten years old. I'm in a classroom with uh, a twelve year old mm. who just got off the boat, oh, and wow. for him there were great challenges and great uh a lot of disconnect and a lot of uh things that were just not fitting in mm -hmm. um that included i imagine like language barrier and well, culture barrier or? culture barrier more than anything else because mostly through the west indies um english is the is the, the language spoken okay for, for the most part but obviously everyone's heard different accents right these are the the patois is, it's patois is what we call it mm -hmm. um it's just a different way of saying the English words. It's not much different than, say, a uh, uh, someone from Louisiana speaking to someone from New York. Right, uh, right. So not a real language barrier, just a different a culture barrier. I imagine, thinking then, though, I mean, from the perspective of a person who has just arrived in a new country, and maybe even though the words are the same, but the way that you speak is, the same, or is different, yeah. I imagine that there are likely some situations where local people would look at that person differently. So even though there's not a communication problem, the local people are perhaps making assumptions about the new person perhaps. because of the way they speak. Yeah. Oh, no, you're 100% about, uh, correct about that. And obviously I, I couldn't talk about um, the way that fit into the professional world because I was a child. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, teachers would, would 
just assume that you were not intelligent mm. or that you couldn't handle the work because of the way because of the way you speak spoke. yeah mm. and not so much for me because like i said i entered the school system right. in canada but for these guys uh that came along afterwards mm-hmm. really really difficult and really frustrating and and heart- heartbreaking because of just kind of these these preconceived notions That's about, right. about the way a person That's right. I, I, speaks I that way. I remember a fellow, I won't name him, but he was very, very intelligent, and he got put back, put back into a, a, a two or three grades uh, before him. Like, he should have been in grade six, and he was put into our grade four class. Because of the way he spoke? Because they didn't trust the school system that he came from. Oh. The way he spoke didn't help, didn't give them any more confidence. Right. Um, yeah, it was just unfair. I see. It was a, a time, though, when there was no uh, consciousness. People didn't know anything about other cultures. The world was a lot bigger than it is now. Mm. There was no social media, no internet. There was no way to know that people in another part of the world were actually as intelligent as the people in your own part of the world. Mm. Nobody knew that. Mm. Nobody understood that. Mm-hmm. It was. It was. I don't want to. I don't want to excuse it, but you can understand mm. um, where the people were coming from. I see. So people were just like you know ignorant. We've we've been brought up to understand that this way is the correct way to yeah. do X, Y, and Z. If you don't do that, then you must be missing something. That's right. Kind of the deal. That's right. I see. So you had the experience of be- beginning in that system, That's and right. therefore you had a different experience. Yeah, with it. So and I, I wasn't handicapped by, um, oh sorry, I wasn't handicapped by someone else's um, expectations of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started in the system, so they started me with everyone else, so I could progress with everyone else. I see, I see. So you mentioned that you were there in 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 the school system until college is that right yeah yeah so and then when you went to college is that i know that you've had some experience with broadcasting specifically with sports broadcasting yeah. is that where you began going down this this road of not sports? at all no not okay. at all no uh that was i mean as uh into my late teens um well, there's so much to get into with college. Okay. But let's just say I, I, I went to one university that um, wasn't quite for me, but then I ended up going to another one mm. uh, a bit later. Like, I, 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 I didn't start until I was about 21 years old. Oh, okay. Um, and that one was perfect. It was small school. Uh, I was able to get to know people very quickly, mm. make li- lifelong friendships. Um, and I, I just did a... a, a a bachelor, a bachelor of arts uh, in political studies. That was wow. I just wanted to keep um, all my doors open. So, uh, did you ever, did you ever think to yourself, I'd like to get a job specifically related <laughs> to politics? No. Really? No. Uh. No. I don't even know why I chose that. I just <laughs> really, it's something to do. With it's the something time. to do. Yeah, yeah. So, I, my brother did poli sci, which was it's a, a sort of a different course. But my brother was always, like, my hero, right? He's always been my idol, so uh, he's doing poli-sci. It's not something I would have admitted to myself back then. When yeah. the, the choices are there, you're going to do English, you're going to do history. Oh, mm-hmm. political studies. Done. I'm going to do that. My brother does political science, yeah. so that's kind of, I'm not exactly the same, but yeah, exactly. he's kind of figured out. <laughs> yeah, well, my school, did, if 
the school I went to didn't offer political science. It was just political studies or nothing. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Okay, so that was the closest that yeah. you could get. Yeah. I see. Yeah. Wow, so you, I didn't know that about you, actually. So you're a political... What's the difference, do you know, between political science and political I didn't pay studies? attention. I don't even know what political <laughs> studies was. <laughs> I was really good in the... Uh, in the community, in the uh, social community. Fair enough. Played hockey every Friday. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that maybe leads into then, I guess, if you're if you're in the community, you're playing sports in the community, I guess that your interest in sports be, came from that. Oh, then. no, my interest in sports started right away. Okay. Uh, my interest in having a career in sports didn't come until I had actually come to Japan. I, and that's another story. But Okay, we'll get to that. Yeah, <laughs> but, but my interest in sports, it was, I always thought... I was wasting time, because instead of studying, I'm reading Inside Sport Magazine, The Sporting News, Sports Illustrated, mm. Sport, all of them. Anything that was published, I was reading it, mm. uh, and I was remembering all the stats and the players' stories and where they came from and what they're doing, and and I, I was really good at sort of saying, well, this guy's going to have a big year this year, because I knew when his contract was up, and oh. I knew, his, you know, because... You had all the facts. I had all the facts. You were that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but I can see how you might think to yourself, what am I really doing spending all my time, you know, learning these things? Oh, yeah. I can totally see how you would have that moment of reflection. Oh, well, not just me, my father, you know, I've, I've got <laughs> stacks of magazines in, in his garage. And right. he said, I'm going to throw this junk out. Why? What are you keeping this junk for? Yeah, yeah. But he didn't throw it out. Like, I, he threatened every week. But he never threw it out. Okay. Which is really cool. Well, it's like not hurting anybody. No, so. mm, no. Mm. Okay. Uh, so we have this sports thing that's just, that's been there forever. Yeah. And you, I assume throughout college as well, oh, too. Oh, yeah. Passionate. So you finished college with this political studies degree. That's right. What do you do? What I do have do student that? loans to pay. Right. So my friend of mine the year before, who graduated a year before me, um, he had moved to Japan to become an English teacher. Mm -hmm. And one day I get a call from him mm. uh, I'll say his first name his name was Scott mm. and Scott says uh, you gotta come here because I make X amount of money for putting in about 15 hours a week Oh, and I do almost nothing and you would love it and <laughs> of course he's right <laughs> I love getting paid for nothing Cause, and, but to be clear like for anybody who's watching this like in 2020 yeah, it's later, not the same. it is extremely different it is not the same back then uh, an English teacher's salary was a very good salary mm. and uh, you were not expected you, to prepare much you just had to show up and basically model model the words and be the voice that, right. that people would repeat after and try to correct their accents and pronunciation. Right. So, yeah, that was it was a good gig, but I found not too long after starting it, like about a year into it, mm -hmm. I was getting bored. Oh. I was getting bored because I really wasn't, uh, like I said, I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't challenging myself. Right. I was just, and I, one day... Um, I found uh, I was nodding off in class. Oh. I, I knew this was not going to be for me. Right. Um, I still needed to make money, so I continued the job. But a, a friend of mine came to me. Um, he called me up. He said, uh, we're going whitewater rafting. Mm -hmm. And I was living in a town called Takasaki. And he said, uh, we're going whitewater rafting in Minakami. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, all right. Let's go. <laughs> I couldn't Sounds swim. Fun. Oh. I, I didn't know how to swim. I didn't you know. said yes. I said, yeah, why not? Mm. So 
I got there, they they put me... I'm, I'm getting off topic, aren't I? That's okay, keep going. They put me in the front of the boat, because the, the, the rafting guide, the, the boat I was getting in, the guy's name was uh, Steve. Big fella. Really mm. big, muscular, heavy, round fellow. Okay. He took one look at me and said, no, we need to balance this out, and he put me at the front, <laughs> front of the boat, uh, the opposite side of him. Okay, got it. Yeah, so... <laughs> um, being at the front of the boat kind of changed my life that day because the, the, the waves were whipping over. It was spring, so it was a big river, like mm. a lot of snow melt. Getting hit in the face, and I'm loving it, and I'm yelling all the way down the river, like, come on, more, more, more. Mm-hmm. We get to the end of the trip, and the owner of the company, his name is also Steve, different Steve, but he comes up to me, and he says, you know, some people's enthusiasm you can't ignore. Mm. If you want to be a guide, we'd love to train you. Come up and become a, tra- uh, a rafting guide with us in Minakami. And just work on weekends if you want. Keep your job. I said, for sure. And I jumped in. I started training. I finished that summer as a guide, as a trainee guide. Uh, and then the next summer, I didn't even bother teaching. I was just really? up here. I was here, and I stayed here. And that's that's my Minakami origin story. Gotcha. <laughs> so that's what brought you to Minakami, where we are today. Yes. So like a very small mountain town. Yeah, We're far outside small. of Tokyo, a couple hours north of Tokyo. It yeah. takes, yeah, two, two hours or so, including bullet train time to get here from Tokyo. Right. Mm, sure. So that's, that's what brought you here. Yeah. But you did go back. You came back I, to I did. Canada, right? I did. Um, I had, I guess it was... The false impression or the misimpression that three years was was the right length to stay in Japan. Mm. Because when I first got here, I was in the English teaching community, mm. and most English teachers couldn't go past three years. That was the length of the contract right. back then. Right. I don't know. Um, so everyone that I knew was gonna was here for three years, and they left. Three years, and they left. Gotcha. So I told myself, okay, three years. So I got to the end of the third year, mm-hmm. and it was still summer, so I stayed and did some rafting until the end of that summer. Um, and then, so at after three and a half years, I went back home thinking, okay, that's it, I'm done. Right. But once I got home, I realized my Japanese experience is not finished. I'm not the same as everybody else. Mm-hmm. Maybe they were done with their experience, they, they got what they wanted out of it, mm-hmm. but mine was not finished. Um, and I really wanted to get back. Mm-hmm. And that it was that was uh, late '90s, and it was at that point that um, you know I didn't know what to do when I got home. So, loving sports, I went to do the broadcast um, program at a community college. Oh, so, okay, okay. So I went and I did that. Um, it was an extremely lonely, uh, lonely time, depressing time. Um, I was in a class with. A bunch of 17-year-olds who had never been anywhere, never done anything. And they're having a great time sitting in their dorm rooms getting drunk, you know. Um, and for me, that was, I don't want to say beneath me because I'd been there. Mm-hmm. Uh, not really the drunk part, but I'd been there, I'd done that. I'd, but it wasn't interesting to me at all. I was just bored out of my mind and lonely. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so... Anyway, I pushed through, got through the the course, and uh, took a job in the city. I'm just remembering all this as we're going here. Mm-hmm. You know, took a job in the city um, at a bar in my local in my area, mm-hmm. where I met a fellow who was working for TSN, which is the uh, Toronto or sorry, the Sports Network Canada. Okay. He was working for TSN, but 
there was a brand new sports network coming online, a place called Sportsnet. Okay. And it was going to be the competition for TSN. And so he told me about this because we had talked. Good guy. Mm. We had talked and I told him, you know, I love sports. I've got this broadcasting background now and mm. I want to do something with it. Mm. So he told me about Sportsnet coming online and he got me because he was switching. He's making the switch. Mm. He got me an interview. I got involved. Um, I remember at my interview them asking me about, you know, what makes a team work and, and, uh, and, the, and I remember being able to give them, tell them stories about my time as a rafting guide, which really was, I didn't realize that it would, would dovetail nicely into that, because mm-hmm. it, but it really did. I mean, the things you have to do, the, the how you have to <clears throat> depend on your teammates mm. as a rafting guide, because let's say you're playing baseball and you make an error, the other team might score, uh, you might lose the game, you might lose the season, you might lose the championship. So what? If you are out there and you make a mistake on the river, someone might lose a life. Right. So it was really, really intense, and you really had to be focused, and you had to count on your team, and you had to be a good teammate. You couldn't go off on your own and say, well, we're going to just run this rapid. We won't wait for anyone else. You mm. just. So, I mean, telling them stories that related to that, uh, they were impressed, and, and I started working at the very bottom level, eventually mm-hmm. worked my way up. But what was happening was I couldn't get Japan out of my system. Mm. And so, um, when you say you couldn't get it out of your system, was there something that like you really, really missed about being in Japan, or yeah, was everything. there a certain like experience or a certain something that I couldn't put my finger on it? Mm. Uh, it was everything. It was just everything. I was, uh, I had a dream job. Everybody that I'd went to school with, that I knew from high school and university, would have killed for my job. I was in the locker room. Uh, for the Toronto Maple Leafs and all their playoff games, I was, I was doing all the stand-ups and the, the reporting for the Raptors after their games. Mm-hmm. The, I, I was, uh, in the press box at the Blue Jays game, just watching some home runs fly past our heads. I had the dream job for any sports fanatic. Huge. And I just didn't want to be there. Mm. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I wanted to be in Japan. Uh, and I, still to this day, I can't tell you why it wasn't enough for me, mm-hmm. but it wasn't enough for me. Mm-hmm. And I, I knew that I'd have to sacrifice something to come back. So I did, you know, right. um, those guys. Okay. More of the origin story. I guess this is where it folds in. Okay. Um, I, I was about seven years into my career at Sportsnet. Um, and I had, I had still been rafting every summer. Uh, once I did four years as staff and then I went freelance. I became a freelance producer okay. for Sportsnet. And then, um, so I decided not to do any gigs in the summer. I didn't take any baseball gigs or golf or any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would then come back to Japan every summer to be on the river. Awesome. About, <clears throat> sorry, seven or eight years into it, um, a friend of mine, Mike, called me up. He said, we, some of the guys, some of the foreign guys that were rafting guides and senior rafting guides had gotten together, made their own company. Uh, and bought a base, a big building that had a kitchen. And he knew that while I was back home working, I had just been taking cooking courses because I've always loved cooking. Mm-hmm. So I just found a community college, took courses, and it was only going to be for a hobby. I just wanted to learn about cooking. Sure. I didn't even finish the course because he called me up said, we've got a kitchen, we need a chef, do you want to come? Oh. The next day, <laughs> uh, the next day, I was hard sell, making yeah. plans to move back to Japan awesome. and cook. And so, yeah, I mean, that 
there's a little regret that goes into that, just a little, mm. because, um, you know, the people I was going to school with, the people I was working with in another restaurant in Toronto, just to get more experience, mm-hmm. they, uh, they had the chance after school to work with a great chef or to work with a head chef or mm-hmm. work with anybody with more experience than them. I got straight out of school and went and got my own kitchen. <laughs> and I didn't even finish school. So that's, just that's went, true. That's yeah. true. You just bye. Just I'm out. I've got, in, a, got a place to cook. Straight into my own kitchen. <laughs> so all the mistakes that can be made, I made them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that was the thing that brought you back to Japan yes. initially. So you had this food. You had broadcasting. You had sports. You had all of the stuff that you were able to bring back here. Yeah, and I was able to bring that back and come back to the rafting environment mm. and have a kitchen. So. I was on That's cloud perfect. nine. Yeah. It's perfect. And yeah. so since then, when was that? When was the year that you came back? 2007. 2007. Yeah. Okay. So you've been here since, and your focus here has been rafting, and then in recent years has been towards restaurant operation. The ra- actually, no. When I f- came back in 2007, that restaurant at, the, at their base was my focus. Okay. And I would do a bit of rafting and canyoning um, when... I wasn't busy. I see. Or when they needed someone extra or whatever. Um, but that didn't last very long. I really realized as I was making all of those rookie mistakes that I'd better focus on doing this kitchen and getting it right. Mm-hmm. And after a season or so, I, I didn't do any more um, uh, water work. I see. Yeah. I see. So then in the course of doing that, after you, after you came back here, then I guess it would have been maybe five years or so later was when... We had the chance to meet through That's our right. through our job. Uh, I was doing uh, English support, and you were doing like restaurant. Your your purpose was to do restaurant support to, for our team, the team project. That That's we, right. Our team had been assembled to do uh, a project relating to craft beer in Japan because craft right. beer was starting to boom. This yeah. would have been yeah, two thousand twelve. That's exactly or so. right. Right after the the big earthquake in two thousand eleven is yeah. when I ended my association with Canyons. I'm sorry. I'd never ended my association with Kenny's. They're mm-hmm. still very, very close friends. We're still partners in many ways. But um, that's when I stopped working for them directly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's when uh, you came to Tokyo for like a year or so? That's right. To be a part of this project that had been proposed. And I was a part of the project there as well, but yeah. doing web support. Like I was doing like English translation and English presentation related support. Yeah. And helping, yeah, because it was a bilingual effort. That's right. And so that's where we had the opportunity to meet and become friends. Yeah. Uh, and now, yeah, that was seven or eight, mm, seven years ago now, almost eight. Almost eight, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow, time flies. <laughs> Holy cow. So that was, what, a year or so? year and a half? It was a year. For me, it was a year. Mm. I, I signed a one-year contract mm. and didn't sign another one. Right. Yeah. Right. The project, for various reasons, didn't go as, as expected, and so we all went in different directions. Yeah. You came back here. Back to Minakami. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, even when I signed that contract and moved to Tokyo, I kept paying rent on a place in, in Minakami because mm. I just didn't want to lose my connection to Minakami. And I, I guess, again, it's one of those things where I didn't know why but it worked out in my favor. I see. I needed, yeah, I was glad to have a place to come back to. Yeah, and so yeah. now you have you have a base of operations in Minakami here. Yeah. But you've also uh, opened a restaurant, a uh, couple, well, a couple of things. Well, that came later. I right. mean, when I came back here, that's when I opened my food truck. Right. That's when I started right. my you food truck. Right, you had the truck. food truck. Yeah. But that has morphed into now having a physical, like, brick-and-mortar restaurant. That's right. 
here in Minakami. That's correct. During the summer, spring and summer months. Yeah. And then during the winter, you're at a very popular ski town, Nozawa Onsen. Correct. Where people from all over the world come to ski and snowboard and enjoy winter sports and yeah. enjoy Japan as well. Yeah. Huge. It, it is. It's a great little town. Um, they've been able to, unlike Niseko, uh, which is also great, but unlike Niseko, they've been able to preserve a lot of the traditional Japanese uh, feel of the town. So when people come into Nozawa Onsen, they get something completely different mm. uh, than Hakubo or Niseko. Um, yeah, uh, it's a it's it's a big part of my it's the o- it's my only professional uh, sort of endeavor during the the, the ski season. Mm. Uh, I focus on Nozawa, mm-hmm. um, and it's a big part of my life now. Awesome, is, is Nozawa. Awesome. Yeah. So I want to kind of shift. I think we finally we've got like a good a picture of you know your your story right. of what what brought you to where you are now. I want to talk a little bit more in depth about some of the uh, the experiences uh, in specifically in in the communities in Japan, especially like you've mentioned uh, as a whitewater rafting uh, guide, you, being part of a team right. is really really important. And I imagine in many of those situations, you're on a team with people who maybe don't share the same language, the same native language as you. Like you have maybe, uh, of course, Japanese people yep. and English-speaking people and maybe French or German or whatever-speaking uh, people. Portu- Portuguese-speaking okay. people from Brazil. Uh, there was one fellow from Chile who spoke... Uh, oh, I'm, I'm ignorant. Was it Spanish? Or, I can't. Anyway. Mm. Um, yeah, so you're right. There was uh, a number of... of uh, nationalities represented Mm -hmm. with a a whole bunch of different first languages but luckily as i say that you know um most of them spoke english as a second language Mm -hmm. and we were all we all had varying degrees of japanese proficiency too Mm -hmm. um that was one of the interesting things i remember when i left japan after three and a half years Mm -hmm. Uh, amongst the rafting guides or the the non-native rafting guides, I was like one of the leaders. Like I, none of the guys could speak any Japanese at all. So if oh, we had really? to go out, I had to take them. And sh- and then when I came back, I was at the very bottom of the rung because oh. <laughs> they had all stayed there for you know ten years. And, okay. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I I still I'm still at the bottom. So was the rafting that you were doing was were uh, like uh, were you primarily using? Let me backtrack. The Japanese that you picked up during those first three years then, mm. would you say that that was specifically for like rafting job-specific stuff, or were you also able to pick up and study you know, just stuff you can use in the community? Well, early on, um, I was trying to... I went to a couple of classes when I was an English teacher. Um, and, oh, sorry, did we cut? No, I got it. I went to... Um, I used to do lessons when I was an English teacher uh, and picked up a very, very basic sort of... Hello, how are you, Japanese? Mm. And then uh, getting involved in rafting, of course, all of your customers, 99% of your customers are Japanese. So uh, we were trained in how to do the safety talk, mm. how to do the, um, the, the paddle talk, you know, um, various uh, instructions that you would then have to give to your customers to keep everyone safe. And mm. you had to know those and know what they meant and when to use them. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, your your team was not going to be safe. Right. So, right. Um, so, yeah, at that point, most of my Japanese was based on 
work. Right. Yeah. And then has has your Japanese ability progressed then as oh, yeah. you, as you've lived in Japan? Yeah, especially coming back this the second time, you know, it's from 2007, um picked up lessons again early in that time mm-hmm. and then just immersing myself in a community and going out of my way to have friends who are not just English speaking friends. Mm-hmm. Um trying to make sure that I uh get involved in some things in the community. Like I was telling you before about the um, the taiko team, the Japanese taiko drum Yeah, team. taiko drums. Yeah, yeah the traditional well, drumming in Japan. Yeah. Super cool. When I was able to be a regular there, um, I was the only non-Japanese person in the room. Mm. So, yeah, uh, my Japanese has progressed just through use. Um, I wouldn't say by osmosis. I, I, I actively try to find... Um, new vocabulary and new grammar well it's not new to anyone else but me Mm -hmm. but (laughs) i actively try to find uh better ways to use it and better ways to uh, make my japanese more clear right to natives because i mean i'm at that point now like i just did these these tours with uh with with the all blacks team Mm -hmm. that's Uh, right you were helping with the the rugby world cup in japan the 2019 world cup yeah so doing that required a certain level of Japanese. Right. Um, I had to speak for people who had never been to Japan before. Mm. I had to be ready for emergencies. Mm. I, you know, I had to, I have, to, I had to have the confidence that I could take someone to a hospital and explain what their problem was, mm. you know, and I didn't end up having to do that, but I'd done that in the past. So mm-hmm. I, I knew that I could, I know that I can. Mm. Um, I, yeah, I think it's funny, like with anything else, when you are thrust into a situation, you cope. Hmm. If I'm standing around in one of in a in a bar in my place, and there's a fluent Japanese a fluent non-native Japanese speaker and some Japanese people, I'll always defer. Like if you and I go out, I'll always defer, and you you do the talking. You know, I see. It's because I uh, a confidence thing, I guess. But if you're not there. I still have a great time. Mm. I still have a great night, and I'm st- and then I talk because I have to. Mm. I have no choice. Mm. And my Japanese, I surprise myself at times because it's it's pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right? But I mean, you I, can do all the things that you've just described. Exactly. Yeah, not everybody can do that. That's right. Mm. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not as surprised as I used to be, but it's uh, it's certainly still a confidence thing because you always, no matter what you try to tell yourself you always end up comparing yourself to the other guy right and i know like you are fluent i do okay yeah and so uh if we're if i'm out with you i don't want to make a mistake and you're not going to so i'll just let you (laughs) i make mistakes all the time to be clear oh my gosh one of my favorite mistakes was when i went to uh i went to watering hole that beer bar in yogi park right i went there and i wanted to order carrot sticks on the menu there okay so you know the word for carrot yeah yes ninjin ninjin and so i looked at the menu and i picked it up and i was looking and at you it. ordered human beings didn't you i did i said ningen sticker which means human stick not ninjin sticker as soon as the words were out of my mouth mm. the guy like next to me at the bar started laughing yeah. <laughs> and i was like oh my god but the person who took my order the wait stuff there what a kind soul just went <laughs> which is i've got it like, yeah, i understood yeah, i took yeah. your order and i was like oh my god but actually like my quick realization of the horrific 
you know, mistake I just made, like, that spurred a conversation with, between me and the person oh, sitting very next good. to me. And he told me about this cool coffee shop where he goes sometimes. Yeah. But, yeah, that was a little, a little, a little moment that I'll never forget. And now yeah. every time I go to order carrot anything yeah. anywhere, I'm yeah, very careful about it. that. Yeah. So everybody is out here making good mistakes. Well, like believe me, that's not the worst you could have done. I, I had a couple that were way embarrassing. Oh, way I'm embarrassing. sure. I can imagine yeah. some. I can imagine some. Yeah. But going back a little bit to, I guess, kind of in the theme of comparing a little bit. Mm. Like, uh, I'm, a, I'm a, a person that came to Tokyo. I came to the big city. I've had the big city foreigner experience, right. I suppose. Do you think, especially because kind of the time frame in which you first came to Japan was very different from mine, mm. what was your experience of coming to a small town and being a foreigner? Like, were you, like, the, the, the kind of person that people read about on the internet? It's like, wow, the foreign person. Everybody go look at the foreign person. Like, there was, I've heard some small town accounts of that where people will just stare uh, and, and they'll kind of... I don't know, there's almost like a mascot level thing that I've read about, yeah. uh, which is not to say that it's good or bad, but mm -hmm. some people have expressed that they've had that experience. But what was your experience like when you first came to Japan? You know, I could say for for sure that that's, val that's true. It's mm -hmm. valid. Um, especially my experience, because uh, when I came in the early 90s, mm -hmm. um, 93 was the first year that I touched Japan, Japan Japanese soil. Um, there wasn't as much, uh, tourism. Mm. There weren't as many foreigners working, even in the big cities. Mm -hmm. Um, and being a 300 pound black man made me unique mm. again. So people stopping to stare at me was not uncommon. Mm. Um, and at first I thought it was rude because I brought with me my Canadian sensibilities. I had to get over that. I had to realize that, you know, it's not rude. I would do the same thing if, you know, a green three-headed monster was dropped in my community. I see. I would stare. You know, this is something you've never seen before. Even on television, you know, it's rare to see someone who looks like me. I see. So I, ha I realized that pretty early, and I, I stopped being uh, angry about it or confrontational about it. And I became more, um, I, I don't know, uh, inviting. Mm -hmm. So when I'd see, especially the children, when I see the children staring at me, mm -hmm. they don't know what, what is rude or what isn't rude. Mm -hmm. They're just staring because they don't, you know, they want to, they're curious. Right. So I would engage them. Mm. I would smile. I would wave. When I was more confident, I would even say hello. And, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I still still like to do that to this day. But things have changed a lot right. in terms of exposure. Right. And especially here in this town, where I've been for, you know, the better part of 20 years, um, I'm just a guy now. Right. When I walk down the street, everyone already knows me. Right. You're a member of the community. That's right. Mm. I'm just a guy. So mm. um, you, I can tell the difference between a tourist to this town, like mm -hmm. someone who's coming here for the adventure sports mm -hmm. and someone who lives here. I could tell the difference right away mm. because it's the tourist who's staring at me, mm. <laughs> you know? Right, so, yeah. right. That's interesting. That's so true because that's something that you can't do in Tokyo. You right. know, you can't point to someone and say like, oh, that, that person's definitely a tourist. Like right. in some cases you can, like, yeah. you know, they're very obvious looking, but yeah. here for sure where everybody knows everybody else, yeah. you know? Like, yeah. when I've been driving in the car with you, you'll be, like, waving at people sometimes. That's right. <laughs> Passing cars. I'm That's like, right. I can't even imagine doing that in Tokyo, <laughs> you know? 
It's amazing to me. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit then about perhaps, um, you mentioned very briefly, uh, you know, making rookie mistakes. Mm, yeah. I was wondering if maybe you could share a little bit about something that you consider a rookie mistake and that you think, man, I wish I hadn't done that. Or maybe like, I, sh- I, I should have done that, right. <laughs> but instead I did this other thing. Like, right. It's funny that you mentioned that because I was uh, sharing a story about that just a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. at this All Blacks Tours event. Um, I used to do a buffet lunch mm-hmm. at uh, at Canyons. I, I, I'll explain. Canyons is an outdoor adventure company, and we they have a base, and we used to, the customers would come in and do a, a trip in the morning, then they'd get lunch and do a trip in the afternoon. Um, and also, uh, I would make lunch for the guides who were doing two trips a day or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd do this buffet and uh, budget everything out. No, you know, I'm going to need this much per person and it's going to cost me this much per person. I did all the background work. I thought I was in good shape. Mm. I put the buffet out and the guides especially, but also the customers, would come along and just smash it. They take way more than they were supposed to, way more than I had planned on. Mm-hmm. And usually my budget for the month was blown within two two weeks. Oh. I was gone. I was done. Oh. You know, and I was I started I was running in deficit and you know. Um <laughs> which yeah, was wasn't good for me, wasn't good for the company. Mm. Um yeah, it wasn't I wasn't making any money um for the company. Uh so I learned, you know, I learned the thing that you have to do is serve it to them, you know. Even uh, as they're coming up to the buffet, there's got to be someone standing back there. You've got to eat the cost of adding an extra staff member to offset the cost of the waste. That Because if you let them take it, they're going to take too much, leave it on their plate and walk away, mm-hmm. and it ends up in the trash. Mm-hmm. But if you serve them a little bit, it's enough for their lunch. They're welcome to come back for more if that wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. But... Um, that way you don't get that kind of waste. I see. And, and most people will come back for a little bit more and they'll say, yeah, not too much more. You know, the just by having a presence there, a human presence there, they modify their behavior and moderate what they take. So that was a big lesson. I mean, in terms of um, how, to, how to stay on budget, yeah, budgeting, I made a lot of budgeting errors mm-hmm. early on and Mm-hmm. I'm surprised they let me stay there for five years. <laughs> well, you, if you were able to find a solution for it. Yeah, yeah eventually, then, yeah, absolutely. It wasn't like you were just running into a hole for five years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would have been tougher. Okay, then more broadly perhaps, like for someone who is thinking of getting into food and beverage or maybe is even interested in like outdoor sports or mm. something similar, because uh, Japan is huge for outdoor sports, especially in the winter. Yeah. Like there are so many people who come here, like I've met many of like Australians going to Nozal Onsen yeah. where they come for the winter. They find a job in one of the small ski towns to stay there for the winter so they can ski and snowboard and have a great time. That's right. Like for somebody who's thinking, I would like to do that or I'm curious about being able to do that specifically in Japan, mm. do you have any like advice for them? Or maybe do's or don'ts? <sighs> Not really. I would just say do it. Mm. There's... Everybody's experience is going to be different. And some people are going to have a super positive experience and some people are going to have a negative experience. Mm -hmm. Some people are going to leave and say, "Eh, it wasn't for me, I didn't enjoy myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most people leave happy with memories, lots of friends, new friends. Mm. So I'd say just do it. In terms of finding a job, it's not that hard. You find out which town you want to be in. 
And then social media these days has made it easy to find the establishments in that town. You write a letter or a, an email to two or three key influencers in that town. Just, you know, I've, I've received letters, email letters from people looking for jobs in my place. Mm. And if I, uh, if my place, if I'm still looking for staff, I'll entertain them. If not, I'll pass them on to other people that I know who are looking, right. you know? So you just have to go ahead and take, take the initiative, go for it and let them know what you want. Mm. And if, if it, you, no one's going to give you what you want unless they know. Right. So Send a letter to anyone who runs an establishment in the town you want to go to. Right. And it'll get around. Would you say that an experience like that, like coming coming to work for a season or something like mm. that, uh, if it were, if, if it's me, if that's my first exposure to Japan, would that be a good introduction to Japanese culture? Or would that be a good introduction to maybe food and beverage culture in Japan? It is what you want it to be. Mm. Um Knows how, like I said, has kept a lot of the Japanese tradition alive. So there are a lot of great Japanese establishments mm-hmm. for food, beverage. Um, also, the onsen culture in in Nozawa oh, is hot huge. Springs, yeah. yeah, it's huge. So there's a lot of traditional Japanese um, experience available there. Mm. But you can also put your head in the sand and just go to the the, the foreigner bar every night. Uh, eat at the hamburger place every night or the pizza place every night or and you can do that and you can be very happy doing that so it's the it really depends on the person what they want to get out of their experience Mm -hmm. they're going to be able to find it i see yeah i see um to change topics just a little bit uh, as we're getting near the end of our time here i was curious is uh, how, you've been to co- countries other than Japan as well, right? Yes, as a tourist. Right. Yeah. Right. I was wondering if have your experiences traveling to other countries mm. have you had uh, maybe challenges in there that you haven't ha- experienced in Japan? Hmm. Or perhaps or on the flip side of that, like exciting experiences that you couldn't imagine having in Japan. Right. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's a an interesting question. Cause I don't see. I've, I've never thought of it that way, or thought of like my experiences in, say, visiting New Zealand. Mm. My experiences there were. I don't know. I just ca- categorize them as that happened in New Zealand. Ah, uh, right. You know what I mean? Right. And I've never sort of tried to transpose those events onto onto what would have happened if it happened in Japan. Mm-hmm. Never thought about it that way. Like, I guess I, that does make sense, though. You know, just categorize it as part of, part of like, a, a trip that occurred to a place. Like, in thinking about, like, some a way that I might answer this question, it's kind of like when I traveled to Thailand last uh, February. Sure. It was, you know, going on these... Uh, going to these places like these floating markets that i think of like wow that's something that's quite different from the like market culture in japan sure and admittedly it is still a bit touristy to some degree but while some locals still visit to my understanding the floating markets that's something that was kind of unique for me to see and also like to eat uh, at those floating markets as well like you know eating these kind of in some cases a bit questionable things from sticks you know starfish Starfish? I've never eaten starfish in before. In Hong Kong, I ate starfish on a oh, stick. See, that's something I've never seen in Japan before. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I guess it's just those those kinds of small experiences. It's like, uh, that's something that I don't think I could experience in Japan, like my second home. 
or maybe it is my first home now, but mm-hmm. that's also something I don't think you would experience like in the States, whereas from the first time, but um, those are kind of special little standout moments that I'm like, hmm, that's kind of, that, that maybe someone would interpret that as, wow, this is just so crazy. Like right. all these boats are floating and you can just buy stuff from these people. Like, yeah. that's okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. You know, like that's, that's normal. Yeah. So, and the answer is yes. So. I love, I love new experiences traveling, yeah. you know? Yeah, I, absolutely. That's when you learn about yourself, I think. Um, uh, especially if it's a challenging experience, then you have to figure out how to cope right you know without a safety net right yeah yeah especially when you're by yourself in a foreign country there's nobody that you can turn to there's no call mom or call dad in that situation i got lost in ho chi minh once really (laughs) i would like to hear that story i got on a, a, a taxi scooter okay and uh I wanted to go shopping. I wanted to see another market because mm. I was in I was in the Ho Chi Minh area where um, where all the bars and the hotels are. Everywhere, you know, mm. I'm sure, you've been. I have not. No, it's on okay. my list though. Um, so I was there, and I wanted to go elsewhere. I wanted to see something else. Mm. So I got, I called. I hailed a taxi, and it was a scooter. And I got on the back and went around this roundabout and the curve over here, and no idea where I am. Um, but he took me to another market. And I got out, and I, I had a good look around, and then when I wanted to go back home, I didn't have the card from my hotel. Nope. I couldn't speak the language. I, nobody spoke English. I just had no idea how to get back, even if I could hail a taxi. Oh, my god! no idea how to get back yeah. to where I had to go. Yeah. Yeah, I ended up having, you know, sort of... I found a guy who sort of worked with me. I had sign language. Like, I, I hailed another scooter. And I was saying, yeah, yeah, my place is I, near... I couldn't, can't now remember the name of the bar, but there was a really popular bar. Oh, so okay. I said, okay, take me to this bar. Huh? <laughs> and he, eventually he figured out which bar I wanted to go to. Oh, he took cool. me there. I paid the fare, which was twice as much as the fare I oh. paid to get where I was going. But mm. it doesn't matter. Mm. It, and, uh, you know, uh, Vietnamese dollars weren't very big at the time mm. um yeah but that was a scary experience like, sure having no idea where i was going or where i was gonna sleep or yeah it was crazy but yeah but i mean kudos to that that taxi driver yeah. for willing for being willing to figure out yeah. you know yeah. where you wanted to go yeah not everybody would do that that's right actually like going back to thailand i had a, a taxi driver because there you have to barter with taxi drivers oh really because you'll uh you'll choose your your fare you'll agree on a fare before you even get in the car there so you have to know roughly how much it costs to get to your destination. So right. for us, we knew it was going to be like, I think like 2000 baht or so, which is about 20 bucks, right. I believe at the time. Um, so we would, sometimes we'd get a, we'd get a taxi and we'd be like, we want to go here. And the driver would be like, yeah, 4,000. <laughs> I was traveling with my sister-in-law and one time this guy just, he gave us a way too high price. <laughs> she just started laughing. Right. She just started laughing and the guy rolled up his window and drove away. Like, he clearly he'd been called out on it. Right. But like, they'll try to get people sure. with that. They'll say like this much and then you'll go, no, 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 I'm not getting in your car until you say, you know, until right. you give me this price. So that's a little bit sketchy actually. And yeah. like they're they're counting on visitors not knowing that exactly. you have to do that and not knowing the correct price for that. That's so that right. can be tricky sometimes. I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, then I want to talk. Uh, just wrapping up here, our last couple questions. That's sad. I'm ready to go. <laughs> A lot of people say that <laughs> yeah. actually. Yeah. 
I want to ask where, what, what are the, what are the restaurants you're operating now? Like if someone's visiting Minakami or someone's visiting Japan, like where can they come to eat? Or where can they come to explore the things you're offering? Okay, great. Thank you. What are your um, projects? What's coming up? What are you excited about? Uh, well, I'll tell you what I'm doing right now. Mm. For my green season uh, project or, or my green season restaurant is a pub in Minakami. It's mm-hmm. called Ruins. Mm-hmm. Um, and I opened it in... Uh, Golden Week, as you know, traditional um, holiday in Japan, which yeah. is the first week of May. Yeah. Usually, last year last year it was the end of April, but whatever, it's usually the first week of May. I open in Golden Week, and uh, I go until the end of October, mm. and that's the green season, and then everything, sort of, the leaves are falling, and it's getting cold, and then winter starts in December. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually, um, in, in those islands, and the snow will fall around a couple days before Christmas, so... I'm always ready to go have my restaurant open and ready to go by uh, the 15th or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it really depends on the snow when it actually opens. Right. But um, the restaurants in Nozawa, uh, is the one I'm doing this year is called The Big Jerk. Mm-hmm. And that's a double entendre because, you know, it's got my face on the logo so everyone can know that I am The Big Jerk. You are obviously a big jerk. Uh, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. And um, But the food that I'm doing there, this this is a special one for me because this is the first time since I started cooking professionally that I've had the confidence in uh, not only in the business side of it but the food, the cooking side of it and uh, the promotion side of it I'm actually going to be doing my native Jamaican food mm. so it starts it's the the menu is is centered around jerk chicken hence mm-hmm. the name the big jerk mm. um, and then uh, I, I go out from there with uh, different types of Jamaican food that people may not have heard of right. and don't know exist. So the, I use the jerk chicken because it's it's very um, familiar to a lot of people. Mm. Uh, hopefully that brings them in. But then I get a chance to educate them on some of the real gems and some of the real wonderful food that mm. I grew up eating. Yeah. That, I, that came from my, my mother's kitchen, my father's kitchen, my aunts and uncles. Um, you know, everyone right. made some really, really incredible stuff that... Uh, I'm nervous about trying to uh, represent them. Right, and you, you even made for dinner uh, last night. Yeah. I had the pleasure of sampling one of your upcoming dishes. That's the, right. the new to me, Indonesian, Jamaican kind of fusion, I yeah. guess. Yeah. The rendang curry. That's right. It's, uh, it, it, Super it's called rendang, um, and most people, a lot of people will have heard of rendang. It's usually a, a beef-based dish. Mm. Um that's popular in Indonesia and that part of Asia, but um, the, and India, and there's there's a huge Indian population in Jamaica and has been for many 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 years, like generations, and uh, so th- there's been sort of a, a fusion, but I'd say more of an evolution mm-hmm. um, of this dish uh, is made in Jamaica, and instead of being called rendang, the the Jamaican patois it's called rondong, mm. and. Uh, it's delicious. It's absolutely delicious. Coconut based, uh, um, lemongrass, ginger, all of the aromatic flavors that you would expect out of an Indonesian dish, but mm-hmm. with that Jamaican touch with the, the curry. And it's just, I'm really uh, excited about putting it on the menu. Yeah, I enjoyed eating two helpings of yes. last night. <laughs> <laughs> so good. I was gratified by your reaction to I it. Was, I was into it i liked it a lot okay 
Uh, so we have Ruins and we have uh, the Big Jerk. So yes. Ruins is in summer, Big Jerk and Nozel Onsen in the winter. That's right. Gotcha. And, yeah. More to come. More to come. I've always got my fingers or my sights set on something else. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, there, I've got other projects in the works, but right. really not... Um, Sure, but I, I don't want to mention them until hmm. they're actually up and running because I don't want to disappoint anyone or, you know. Of course. So yeah. if someone wants to make sure that they can keep up with all of your projects, where can they find you on social media? Right. Um, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Mm-hmm. I'm so old. I'm just trying to keep them straight. <laughs> um, I have just started a page called The Big Jerk Nozawa. Okay. So you can find out what's going on there. Um, also, I have a uh, website uh, that is it's called kantodining.com. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this area of Japan is the Kanto. So, um, yeah, kantodining.com. Okay. It hasn't been updated in a while, but I've been working. I was just talking with my um, website designer, mm-hmm. and we are going to update it by the end of December with my new projects oh, okay, on it. Okay, great. So, yeah. Great. Okay, so we can put the links in the description for YouTube and the podcast as well if anybody wants to check that out. And anything else that you want me to add, I'll put that there. Thank you. This brings us to the end of our talk, but is there anything else that you would like to add? Um, yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, when, when I got uh, the description of what was going to happen today, there was mm-hmm. one question on there that really excited me that you didn't ask. What was it? It was about... Uh, inspiration and who I would like to work with and collaborate with. Oh, I had that on here, but I thought that it would, I thought it would, I don't know, I thought after everything we talked about. But yeah, please, if you have, if you have an inspiration, please share. What inspires me is hard work and um, results and seeing people grow. And you are one of my inspirations. Oh. Absolutely, unequivocally, you are one of my inspirations. I know we're, you know, in our relationship where we started with that company and that project, and and when it ended, it didn't end in the best way, and it kind of left us both flat. Mm. And seeing where you've come from there, with your projects with uh, YouTube and, and and the English teaching, and and now what you're doing with this, it's just, it's incredible oh thank it's you it's incredible and i hope that one day uh your cameras can be in my kitchen and we can do you know i can teach somebody english through cooking i'd love yeah. to do something collaborative with you That's i don't awesome. know but that would be awesome well this is our first step in our collaboration yes indeed. awesome awesome <laughs> that's very kind i really appreciate it on that note then i will say thank you so much for your time thank you, thank you i so really much appreciate you experience. coming out here it's not an easy place to get to no, so but it's always so much fun to come cool. thank you dex cheers Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Non-Native Creative. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already so that you never miss an interview. Also, please make sure to stop by the project Patreon at patreon.com slash non-native Patrons can get access to Patreon-only discussions, bonus behind-the-scenes media, interview transcripts, and access to patron-only live streams. Your support will help make sure the series can continue to share exciting, interesting stories from creative people working across borders. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.